What should be a Christian's stance regarding abortion? Should we stand up and speak out strongly against it? Should we agree that a woman has the right to do whatever she pleases with what is in her womb? Or should we just remain silent and avoid getting involved in such a hot-button issue? And does it really matter regarding the future of our society? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I have two colleagues in the studio with me today. The one on the far end there is uh, Nathan Jones, our internet evangelist, and next to me is Tim Moore, our associate evangelist. We're going to discuss one of the hottest issues in American society today, namely abortion on demand. And we're going to discuss it from a biblical viewpoint and not a political one. I'd like to begin by showing you a short video clip of former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee speaking out on this issue. Keep in mind that Huckabee was a Southern Baptist pastor before he entered politics in 1992. The powerful statement by Huckabee that you're about to view was prompted by a vote in the United States Senate in February of this year when the Senate refused to consider a bill that would have prevented doctors from killing babies who survive abortions. In short, it was a bill to prevent infanticide. Here now is what Mike Huckabee had to say. The issue that has the potential of the greatest impact, not just politically, but culturally and morally, is the failure of the U.S. Senate to pass a bill by Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska that simply said that if a baby survived an attempted abortion and was born alive, the doctor present would render aid and try to save the baby's life. That bill failed. Let that sink in. People elected to make our laws refuse to pass a law that would have required treating a living, breathing baby with at least the same respect that we demand of treating a cat, a dog, or a sea turtle. And one of the senators who voted against it said, it wasn't good for women's reproductive health. That's a lie. Because when the baby's born, the woman has already reproduced. And there is nothing healthy about killing the baby. And the woman is no longer even physically connected to the baby. So why do I say that this was the most important issue? Because if we as a country and a culture cannot and will not try to save a crying baby that has survived one attempt to kill it, and then we allow the attending doctor to kill it instead of save it, and frankly, none of these other issues really matter because we won't have to wait the 12 years the radical greenies say we have before we become human toast because of global warming. You see, I believe God may pull the plug on us himself. And as it was in the time of Noah, he may just simply say, that's enough. And I mean, who could blame him? By the way, when God has enough of this, his version of a global warming ain't going to be pretty. All I can say is, wow. We need more Christians speaking out like that. Keep in mind, folks, that since the Supreme Court legalized abortion in 1973, we have killed 62 million babies in this nation. The blood of the innocent is on our hands. And yet I find many Christians defending abortion by saying that the Bible is silent about it. 
What about it, fellas? Is the Bible silent? Well, the Bible is most certainly not silent, and we cannot remain silent any longer. We'll talk about several verses, but I'll point people to Deuteronomy, where the Lord, speaking of the, the folks who lived in Canaan before the Jews came there, says in chapter 12, verse 31, You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. In other words, sacrificing their children to some kind of false god. Today we call that god, or some people do, choice. I could take you to Psalm 106 in verse 37 through 39. The Lord says this, They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons, and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices, and they played the harlot in their deeds. That's what we have done now for far and too many And that's one of the reasons God destroyed those nations. Yes, it is. Uh, the blood of the innocent was crying out. And they, they, the, the God was Moloch, and they would superheat this God. And he had his hands out, and they'd come up and put their babies in his hand, a live baby, and the baby would be burned to death in their presence. Yes. And we're doing the same thing today in some of the techniques that we're using for abortion that just burn the baby alive. Or take the baby halfway out and stick a needle in its head and suck its brains out. People don't like to talk about this, but we need to face up to the reality of it. Definitely. What about you, Nathan? Some verses from the Bible. Well, the Bible is very explicit about the sanctity of life at all stages. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, Choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Uh, the Lord talks repeatedly about being knitting us fearfully and wonderfully in yes. our mother's wombs. Uh, he condemns uh, throughout the Deuteronomical and Levitical laws about about what happens when a person is uh, kills a pregnant woman, that it's not just one, but it's two that are dead. The Lord sees the baby as fully human being and something worth preserving and sanctifying. Amen. I heard a person recently say, you know, the, the thing that gets me about people who are pro-choice is that they never finish the sentence. What's choice the finish of the right. sentence? I'm pro-choice. I believe a mother has the right to murder her baby. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, and again, that, that choice has become the false God. Some people elevate that as a political mantra to the most important principle by which they are going to shape every other belief structure. And that's just, it's unfathomable to me and to any who love the Scripture and the Word of God. I never thought this great nation would uh, stray so far from the Word of God that it would uh, legalize the killing of babies. Uh, uh, you would think the womb would be the most, the safest place on planet Earth. And Actually, it's one of the country, most dangerous. It is the most dangerous place for a child in this nation, is the womb. And the Lord hates it. You read in Proverbs 6, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. You can't get more innocent than a baby in a womb. Uh -huh. Boy. Well, often those who are pro choice say it's not fair to bring an unwanted baby into the world. What about that? Well, uh, it is not for us to decide who is wanted. God has knit every child together. The, the Scripture talks about Him knitting together prophets and others in the mother's womb. And so, He has created that life. And although that baby may not be wanted by its mother or father biologically, there are thousands of couples yearning to be able to adopt a child. There's no such thing as an unwanted baby. No. There's couples all over America today trying to find a baby to adopt. They have to go to foreign countries. Yes. They've had to close down the orphanages because they're just... 
And we the kill worst, so many babies. I mean, you're hearing uh, like Alexandria uh, Asagio Cortez, who's, who's going out and saying, well, because global warming, then we must not have children, or we must abort our children to prevent them from having to face a cat cat catastrophe. I mean, that's, that's just about as base as you well, can get. What about get. rape vict victims? Well, rape victims, yeah. we have a special sense of justice that needs to be meted out for those who commit a crime of rape. But let's face it, that child is innocent in that whole process. And Scripture is very clear that a son or a daughter should not be put to death for the sin of a father. And that's essentially what people are subscribing to if they say we should kill the baby as the victim of that rape. And yes. no, the Bible is very clear about it's that. It's often a smokescreen argument in the fact that the statistics show that only 1% of those who are raped ever conceive because probably of the cause of the well, trauma many, of it. Many yeah. reasons that they may not conceive, but also that's a fraction of the number of abortions that are performed. Oh, yeah. Most abortions right. are not due to right. that reason. Anything else on that, Nathan? Okay. No, that's exactly what I right. say. It's very uh, few. What about protection for the mother's life? Well, it is just, we are at a time period now where it's medically proven that it is never a threat to the mother's life. You can go through C-sections. They can bring a baby out earlier, almost up to 21 weeks. There's no medical condition today, as far as I have read, where a doctor says that a baby will threaten the life of the mother unless it's aborted. The only case is an endotopic pregnancy where a baby is conceived and That's implants right. within the fallopian tube or other parts that uh, can become threatening. Mm -hmm. But there are ways that that is usually taken care of. What we are talking about is babies who are, are fully viable and mm -hmm. will come to term and will be born. And so we have to be very clear. We have medical technology that is able to see inside the womb and that proves once again that this child that is developing is fully human. It is not a clump of cells, as is one of the lies of the abortion industry. They can take babies out now, do operations on them, and put them back in the Place mother. Back there in the there is not a time period where the mother's life is threatened. The former Surgeon General of the U.S., Dr. C. Everett Koop, who was a very devout Christian, oh, yeah. made this comment. Protection of the life of a mother as an excuse for an abortion is a smokescreen. In my 36 years of pediatric surgery, I've never known of one instance where a child had to be aborted to save the mother's life. The doctor will either induce labor or perform a cesarean section. Hmm. Okay, next question. What about a deformed or retarded child? Well, that touches on some things we've addressed in, in Kentucky. I will tell you that the Lord says very clearly, even those who are blind and lame, they are crafted to His purpose. The blind man famously spent his entire life being blind until Jesus Christ healed him. And he said, you were blind so that the glory of God might be manifest mm -hmm. through this very miracle. We know people, each every one of us, who have various conditions, but they are a special blessing of God in the lives of those around them. So to claim that a, a child with a particular handicap should be aborted because of that, again, <coughs> is a false screen, smoke screen, if you will. It all has to do with the lack of respect for the sanctity of life. And if you, if you start saying, okay, we can abort children that have a retardation or children who have some sort of handicap that we have seen in the womb, we can, then where do you draw the line on this? Well, you don't draw the line. You There's don't. a professor uh, of Princeton, a professor of bioethics yeah. of all things, who has advocated for years infanticide, oh, up yeah. to maybe age seven, maybe age the ten. The governor of Virginia recently su suggested that we should give the parents a period of about two weeks to decide whether or not they want to keep the child. And by their logic, you could actually begin eliminating people in full adulthood who are handicapped the elderly or anyone. I've always said if you can, if children, if parents can pay a doctor to kill their children, the time will come when children will pay the doctor to kill their parents. And it's here. It's here. 
There are states that uh, have passed assisted suicide. And there are countries and that are practicing that. Euthanasia. I was born in 1973, the year of Roe versus Wade, and I've seen uh, my generation almost half wiped out over the last 40 years. Yes, you have. That, that I have people alive, it's almost a miracle that they're alive. What about a woman's right to privacy? Uh, uh, often the argument is it's just a bunch of white men who make all these decisions about, uh, about whether a baby is supposed to live or die. The woman should be allowed to make that decision. Well, uh, although it's wrongly attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes, a famous old statement was, you have the right to swing your arm, but that right ends just at the tip of my nose. <laughs> and so a woman has a right to privacy, as do we all, until it impinges on another individual's right. right. And the right to life is basic. How horrible is it to even think that a mother would be lied to and deceived into believing that she should embrace this false god of choice to kill her own child? And That's the interesting thing to me too as a former constitutional uh, scholar is that the Supreme Court when they made the decision of Roe versus Wade found something that nobody had ever seen in the Constitution, a penumbra, a shadow, a shadow. that indicated a pri right of privacy that is not even in the Constitution. No. It was not meant to be. And speaking of Roe versus Wade, I understand that you had the opportunity to actually meet the uh, lady Jane Roe and uh, have a conversation with her. Is that right? I certainly did. Well, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a pause here for just a minute. When we come back, we're going to let you tell us about your conversation with her. I'd be delighted. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy, our discussion of the evil of abortion. Tim, you got to meet the Roe v. Wade. You met Roe. Can you tell us the story of Roe? I sure can. Well, Jane Roe, as she was known in court documents, was actually Norma McCorvey. Okay. She was a young lady from Texas who had actually been uh, married previously, divorced. She had a tragic childhood. She was abused, sexually abused very frequently within mm. the home she was living. She had had two children, given them both up for adoption. She was pregnant with a third and really didn't want to carry the child to term, so she sought an abortion. As various lawyers were looking for a case that they could use as a vehicle to go to the Supreme Court, they found her and decided to use her case. What's ironic is after she signed the paperwork agreeing to be the, the person behind the case, they never used her or talked to her again. As a matter of fact, they cast her aside. She they never used even, her all right. They used her all right. She never <laughs> even went to court. In the end, she had the baby because the court case drug on for a period of, t of years and the baby was given for adoption. She was dejected and actually turned to the very industry that had used her up and she began working for the abortion industry, counseling young women, lying to them she knew to come and have abortions themselves. Hmm. She became a lesbian and lived a totally degenerate lifestyle. Later she was brought back into the public eye with a, a famous lawyer, a feminist lawyer who decided to use her yet again. And Norma realized at some point that she was being used. But as she worked at an abortion clinic here in Texas, hoping to convince other young women to abort their children, she kept being confronted by people who would show up at her clinic to pray. And one little girl, eight years old, by the name of Emily Mackey, finally cracked through her hardened heart. Every day this young girl would say, Miss Norma, God loves you, and so do I. Wow. And that's wow. what finally broke through Norma's cold, hard heart. That's her description, not mine. And she turned her life over to Jesus Christ. Everything changed. It was a radical change of life. It was God's fulfillment of His promise to make all things new. 
and he made Norma's life new again. And she became a strong advocate for life. She went all over the country, and that's how I met her. She wow. came to a dinner in Kentucky for the Kentucky Doctors for Life, and I had the privilege of sitting next to her all evening, hearing her personal testimony, and hearing her tell about her love for Jesus Christ. She said, as she uh, described to me, I love the Lord with all my heart and soul, and it's beyond my comprehension that He could take someone like me, who was a hippie, and a drug addict, and a fornicator, and all the other stuff that I did, and forgive me. It was so hard for me to conceive that the Lord had forgiven me, especially after so many children had been killed, and again, by her own advocacy. But He has forgiven me and restored me. What a tremendous testimony of God's graciousness and His willingness, His eagerness to forgive those who will turn to Him. Tim, I imagine there might be some women watching this program who have had abortions and may be heavy with a, field of, field of, a feeling of guilt or shame. What would you say to them? Well, that is something that I learned even in my years in the legislature. One of the most important things we can do is tell women tell the men who have fathered these children and oftentimes encouraged or, or sometimes tragically demanded mm -hmm. that their girlfriend or wife get an abortion, that God's forgiveness is for all. There is no one who is beyond the reach of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. All they have to do is repent of their sins, in other words, turn back and again accept that offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he, His blood covers all sins. So that is the greatest message to those who have been deceived by this industry of death we call the abortion industry. I know that uh, in this year's uh, session of the legislature in Kentucky that you all passed some significant legislation. How about filling us in on that? All right. Uh, we had four pieces of legislation sponsored by our Pro-Life Caucus. I've had the privilege of chairing. Uh, we started that just uh, over a year ago. We had a bill dealing with discrimination, House Bill 5. Uh, children who would be aborted specifically because of a handicap or because of their own race or genetic or, or gender background. And so we provided protection for that. Uh, House Bill 148, ironically, we wanted to be House Bill 139 dealing with Psalm 139 and the way that Lord fearfully and wonderfully makes us. But Psalm 148, which was a trigger bill that if and when Roe is overturned, Kentucky will immediately revert back to being pro-life in our laws and in our legal system. Senate bills, we had a heartbeat bill uh, saying that once a baby's heartbeat is detectable that that child cannot be aborted. Abby Johnson of the movie Unplanned came and testified very powerfully on behalf of that bill. And finally we had Senate Bill 50 dealing with chemical abortions and requiring the abortionists to make sure that they maintain records. On whole we made more progress on the pro-life effort this year than ever before in Kentucky. Welcome back to our discussion of the evil of abortion. Fellas, uh, let's uh, talk just a moment about some things you mentioned a few moments ago about the battle lines that are being drawn in this nation. Uh, you mentioned your state yes. had uh, uh, prepared for the overturn of Roe versus Wade by saying we're going to be a state without abortion. But many others are passing the same legislation saying we're going to have state protected abortions. Talk right. about the battle lines here. Well, tragically, even in 1973, for instance, New York was one of the most liberal states, the most uh, pro abortion states at that time. And in recent months, their governor and legislature has doubled down to say we're going to be even more embracing of a culture of death. 
and they are gleefully rejoicing over the passage of a law that says if Roe versus Wade is overturned, we'll have unlimited abortion all the way up to the point of infanticide. Famously. In fact, let me just comment on that yes. for a moment. In the last issue of our magazine, you had an article yeah. about abortion, and in that article you had two powerful photographs, and one of them showed guards at Auschwitz rejoicing over the work that they were doing there in killing Jews. And the other picture showed the governor of New York and legislators standing around him rejoicing over the signing of a bill to kill babies. Well, and I've had people push back and say, well, there's no comparison. Well, huh. why not? The why not? dehumanization of human beings, whether they're Jews in the Holocaust, whether they are uh, folks who were enslaved, even in this nation, tragically, in our own past, and now whether it is unborn children, it is the de dehumanization of people created in the image of God. And it's the same thing in terms of the moral ramification. In fact, the other day it suddenly occurred to me that the so-called progressives in this nation who are going around and destroying all the statues that have to do with the Confederacy and even now trying to get rid of statues of George Washington yeah. and Thomas Jefferson because they said, well, they were all slave owners. And they are so pious and they are so moralistic about all this. And these very people who are in, in demanding that we do away with all this because they were slave owners turn around and say, let's kill babies. Exactly. Now, so. which is worse, slavery or killing babies? I mean, come on. Well, both of them fall short of the glory of God. Yes. And obviously, right. we are advocating for for the defense of life created in the image of God. And so there's a clear moral distinction. But those battle lines are being drawn. And there was a time in our nation where I saw the trends in the positive direction. Even the movies coming out of Hollywood were tending to be pro-life for a time. Uh, right now, that trend seems to be swaying, and some states are obviously yeah. staking ground, some individuals. Hollywood itself has pulled back. You all know famously that uh, in recent weeks and months, a movie called Unplanned, the story of Abby Johnson and her conversion while working at an abortion clinic has gotten nationwide notoriety in spite of the fact that most media outlets will not advertise it yeah. and people uh, in the Hollywood elite are rejecting it because they don't like its message but it is definitely sparking uh, interest among the population of the country and more and more young people are coming yes, out Yes, I've noticed that. My children's generation, Generation Z, seems to be more pro-life than their more pro-choice uh, parents and grandparents. Yes, yep. Tragically, I've even heard of conservative Christians make the statement, well, at least if this baby's aborted, he'll go to heaven. And if they're yes. born, they might go to hell. And I think, well, with that logic, you could carry on all sorts of horrors, killing oh, yeah. children in the crib, so to speak, to let them go to heaven? No, that's, no, that's not... That's, that's a, a, that's warping of scripture. Well, it's a warping yeah. of scripture. What, what can the average viewer who's sitting there watching this program, what can they do about this issue? What are some things, practical things they could do? Well, I will tell you that I believe people should advocate. They should contact their legislator. They should contact their pastor and say, preach on this. They should write letters to the editor advocating for life. Do letters to legislators have any meaning though? They do. And personal You're a legislator. Yes, tell us sir. about it. Well, the most powerful way is to say, I want to come and meet with you in person. And I'll be very respectful of your time because I know you're busy, but I want to share with you why this is so important or why we as a group of people believe this is important. So advocate. The next thing I would tell all Christians to do is become involved by supporting crisis pregnancy centers. Yes. There are young men and women who are in crisis situations and they don't know where to turn. Yes. Their family circumstances, like Norma McCorvey, is totally unsupportive. She was rejected and outcast by her own family. They don't have anywhere else to turn. They should be able to turn to the church and to believers 
And so whether it is through your church, through crisis pregnancy centers, offer opportunities for young couples, young mothers to choose life. So people can pray and they should yes, pray, but most they definitely. should go beyond that in terms of writing letters yes. to the editor, writing letters to the uh, politicians, urging their pastors to speak on this because the average pastor often is just doesn't want to deal with these issues because he's afraid he's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Well, uh, Those are some of the things that people can do, including going to a, where the abortion clinics are and uh, demonstrating there as this little girl did who told uh, uh, yeah, exactly. McCarvey. In a loving way, yes, yes. and telling way. her, God loves you, and so do I. Yeah. Not screaming, uh, you know, hate-filled or, or what is perceived as hate, but sharing love. And that's the last thing I would encourage all believers to do, is make sure that we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is now forgiveness for anyone who would come to Him. And those who have come and accepted Jesus as their Savior, there is now no condemnation. So that guilt you talked about earlier can be totally evaporated. Norma McCorvey didn't live a life yeah. re reeked with guilt. She knew that she had been changed and made anew by Jesus Christ. And so that's a message that we can share with everyone, men and women. And in most churches there are people who tragically have made this, oh, yeah. this wrong choice in their past and yet know that they can be forgiven. Well, uh, I want to end this program on a very positive note. Yes. We've already mentioned this once, but I want to mention it again. Nathan, there again, there may be women watching who feel guilt or shame about having an abortion, or a man who in, insisted that his girlfriend have one. Is there any hope for them? Oh, absolutely, there, there's hope. I mean, if there wasn't hope for us as sinners through <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> we're all going to hell. We're and all, yeah. abortion is a, is a sin like any other lying, cheating, stealing. I mean, there's stronger ramifications to it. It is murder, after all. Let's call it what it is. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Matter of fact, when you accept Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 11 says that you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. You just yes. brought up Romans uh, 8 1, which says, Therefore, there is now no no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus Amen. who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that means if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you prayed in your heart, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my abortion and be my Lord and Savior. The Lord promises to do just that. Your sins will be forgiven. Your guilt will be gone. And you will inherit the promises of eternal life with God. You now have a testimony. Jesus Christ has healed you. Go share that with others. There are women suffering, contemplating abortions now. Use your testimony to help them make the right decision and choose life. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope the Lord willing you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. Reagan's book, Living for Christ in the End Times, subtitled Coping with Anarchy and Apostasy, was originally published in the year 2000. The second edition is available and it brings the book up to date regarding the rapid decay of our society and the increasing apostasy in the church. He presents many ways to respond to and cope with both the collapse of society and spiritual deception. Some of the chapters are the collapse of society, the apostasy in the church, standing on the word of God, Believing in the power of God, relying on the Holy Spirit, practicing tough faith, ordering your priorities, keeping an eternal perspective, and much more. This very relevant book can be yours for a donation of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time. 
or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 